From the Rookery End is sponsored by Bet365 and their app features over 300,000 sporting events. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Personalise your bet by using the Bet365 Bet Builder to combine a wealth of bets including match results, players to score and number of goals. And you can feel closer to the action through text and graphics in the Bet365 Match Live features. Become part of Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company, by downloading the app from your app store. Bet365, it's got everything you need to bet on sport. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, a Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And this is our weekend podcast. The weekend Watford had a trip up to Hillsborough to face Sheffield Wednesday, the second game of the championship. As you know, it ended nil-nil. First part of this podcast will be uh, the whole gang, myself, Mike, Jason and Adam, chatting and getting the reaction from uh, Vladimir Ivic. Part two, well, we'll be delving into... Adam and uh, what he knows and how we're going with this transfer window. And final part, of course, we have to look forward to next weekend's game against Luton Town. And yes, I'm fine with saying it out loud. Remember, if you would like to read several of the articles that we we talk about uh, with Adam, you can do so on The Athletic, but you need to subscribe. And you do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And there at the moment, you can subscribe for just one English pound per month. Let's get to post-match. Adam was at Hillsborough, in the depths of Hillsborough. Mike, Jason and I were in our homes. How do we think the game against Sheffield Wednesday went? From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. That's it. 90 minutes away at Hillsborough for the first time in a long time. Uh, and it was nil-nil. Some people may feel they wasted there, uh, there are Saturday afternoon watching that on Hornet Hive, but we're going to talk about it for a little while. Uh, Adam, you were there. You got to speak to to Ivic post match. How how was he? Where are where's the mindset of of him after that nil nil uh, away draw? Like everyone watching at home, and for those of us in the stadium, he was well aware that the first half wasn't good enough. There wasn't really any cohesiveness at all, was there? Um, and they look pretty shaky, they look pretty scrappy, especially in that first 15 minutes. I thought Sheffield Wednesday sort of gave them an instant reminder of, of the physicality of, of the championship. And I think Watford looked, to be honest, a little bit shell-shocked. And they were doing things that you wouldn't expect former Premier League footballers to be doing. They seemed to wake up a little bit more, you know, towards half-time. And then after, I would have thought, a, a bit of a rocket from um, Vlad- Vladimirovic at, at half-time, they, they were far more joined up. Um, in terms of their play in the second half. But I think, you know, he acknowledges the fact that, you know, this is it's a learning curve for him as well. Um, it's the start of a championship campaign. The games are coming thick and fast. We've talked a lot about, you know, all the off-field things that are going on. So trying to find that right blend. I think he was quite happy with the debut of, of James Garner. Um, he wants him to, to come in and bring some more creativity into that midfield. Um, he likes him. He thinks he's a good player. So I think that that's, you know, an acknowledgement of the fact that it wasn't someone that was just thrust on him. I think he likes him and he wouldn't have put him in there um, if uh, if he didn't want to. So uh, that was 
sort of his assessment in general. Obviously, sort of throughout the game, as people were going, oh god, watching this game is pretty tough. Um, you know, you say mine... tough, Adam, but I had a glass <laughs> of red wine, so it was all right. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a few uh, myself this evening because it, this wasn't a wasted journey for me. You see, because I've got a mate that lives in Sheffield, so I'm oh, going to go good. and see him, which is fantastic. But yeah, I think everyone's minds were just sort of thinking, what is going to make this side better? And um, I spoke to him, obviously, afterwards. The, the subject of William Troost Ikong was brought up in terms of maybe bringing extra defensive solidity. Right from the start of the transfer window, he was one of the first names mentioned um, of being the the latest player from Udinese to, to come over. Um, I think it's been sort of touch and go whether he is going to come over. There have been talks ongoing. They might have just kept that pot boiling. And, you know, it hasn't quite been nailed down exactly what sort of contract he's going to come in on, if he does at all. I don't think it's nailed down as yet, but the noises are that he is sort of in the um, process of heading over. So we asked him about that. We asked him about Ishmael Assar uh, as well. Let's just hear what he says about uh, William Tristy Kong, and you can hear uh, exactly his sort of take on the on the game as a whole. We will see, yes. Uh, I know him as uh, a quality player and for sure he will uh, be one of the players who will help us in the future if he will come, if he will join us. We'll see, I cannot speak until now because he's still not uh, not with us. Ahead of the game, a lot of people were excited about maybe seeing Ismail Assar in the in the lineup for today. The, the reason why he's he's maybe not ready yet, or, or is he being kept away from the group, or just to explain no, his situation? He's with the group and he's uh, start to to work uh, day by day harder, and uh, I hope that uh, in the in the next games now, if will be next week or other week, we will see. It depends of his uh, ability and about uh, depends of his uh, physical condition. Normally, he's our player and uh, he's quality player who can help us. And uh, normally, that I want to to use him if it's possible to use him and if he will stay with us. In terms of um, what you made of the first half performance, it, it, it looked disjointed. It, far better in the second half. What did you What did you tell the players to do differently in that second half? And they need to start to play because we didn't play in the first half. No, we didn't uh, do these things what we practice. And uh, the second half, they are they are from the beginning of the second half. They they were much uh, concentrated uh, in the ball position. They are start to move without the ball. They are starting to create the space each for uh, one for other. And that means to this is something what what I'm asking from them uh, day by day and uh, what we work uh, during the practice. You know, sometimes you have some uh, some days, some games where you don't start good and you finish the good. Sometimes it's different uh, that you. Start are good but you don't finish the game on a good way that means to this is uh, something normal especially in the when you in the beginning of the championship but uh, our target is to play 90-95 minutes on the same rhythm if it's possible and to play attacking football Jason what did you think could you could you you're more of a tactical sort of a fellow aren't you Jason and you know having to live with the first 60 minutes let's say was is that a thing you feel you are going to be able to put up with or do you just feel this is a thing that we we have at this point of watching Watford as a defensive team put up with maybe I think there's one thing in sport you don't follow your football team because you know you're going to win and get outstanding performances every week it's an emotional thing, isn't it? It's uh, so you so you're there for the duration. Hopefully, it's early days. We've just talked about the potential for more squad churn. We've talked about players that aren't available, maybe going in previous podcasts. So you'd expect things to settle down. You expect things to get better. If we can produce performances like we did for the back end of the second half, 
with the same solidity, then I'd be happy to watch that. Admittedly, if it's like the first half was, it would be a tough watch because it, it just felt like we had no out. We were we were we were defending okay. Set pieces we were a bit lucky. The two free kicks we we should have been two 0 down from. Uh, so we need to make sure the team all do their jobs on set pieces, that they stay alert, they concentrate. We we won't get away with that every time. Other than that, there was no real threat. It was solid again like we were against Middlesbrough. We just needed what we got towards the end of the second half where all of a sudden we had an out and we had an attacking threat. Well, that's the thing, Mike, you know, the, the we had an attacking threat. Was it that we had and we had the attacking threat when Peritza came on for, for Murray? Was it the fact that we had this attacking threat or was it the fact that the rest of the team and the tactic was let's try and attack after an hour? Can I just say, fellas, I've bit I've bitten my tongue for a little while here, and I'm Go quite on, surprised, especially with you, John, especially with a couple of glasses of red wine inside you. <laughs> I thought we'd have a little bit more more positivity. What a trio you are this afternoon, you guys. <laughs> Adam, you've got a night out on the lash in, in Sheffield ahead of you. John, you're already well underway. Chase, you've got fun and games planned. And Watford are undefeated this season. We haven't conceded a goal in the in the in the Championship <laughs> campaign. We've got another game to look forward to on Tuesday. We've got a um, we've got a derby at home. In in which we're the underdog, so we've got nothing to lose on Saturday against table-topping Luton. This is all coming perfectly for Watford, and I, I jest, of course, but I do, I do think that we that we ended the game. I think there's the the tail end of the game gives us a lot more cause for optimism than than the first half. And I think Vladimirovich summed it up quite nicely in that. I promise I will answer your question, John. But I think Vladimirovich summed it up perfectly in that audio. He said in the first half we didn't play. There was no intensity. There was no movement. Um, and they just let Sheffield uh, Sheffield Wednesday get to them. The, the midfield was completely overrun. Watford were relying on sort of pretty aimless balls forward to get into the into the opposition half. At all, and it was a dreadful, dreadful first half performance. And, and as we've alluded to, it was like like watching paint dry. But the second half, I thought the way that Watford grew into the game, bearing in mind everything we've spoken about over the last couple of podcasts, we've we've talked at length how this is a team, a squad, a club in transition. There's so many moving parts, so many things we're not sure of. Vladimir Ivic doesn't know what his um, first eleven is going to look like in two or three weeks today. He alluded again in the in the audio there that he's having to juggle players around, playing Domingos Kino in a, in a position he knows he's not comfortable with. But the way that Watford grew into that game I, I actually thought it was men versus boys in that second half fitness in terms of strength and in terms of quality I thought Joe Pedro grew into the game he he moved forward and it was strong and skillful uh, and to finally arrive at your point John I think yeah when Parizza came on he he really was the difference for Watford he was a much much better focal point but I think he benefited probably from the side um, growing into the game as well like I said initially that first half it was just aimless lumps forward to Glenn Murray who perhaps wasn't making the movement that, that, that Parizza was in when he came on he was seemed a lot more sort of active and vocal and a lot of talking to his teammates but I do think that I think it was a, it sort of it came together at the same time him coming on and the, and the team waking up seemed to coincide so certainly not pointing the finger wholly at Glenn Murray but I also think that this is the this, this is the case with with Ivic isn't it we we spoke about um his, his defensive record before you know that famously um well, he said famously I can't remember the stat but he only let what is it seven or, or nine goals one of those two in in a, in a in a in a whole season you don't get that by being this sort of gung-ho um approach to football so 
get it right, make sure you've got a pretty firm foothold in the game and then grow into it, which I thought Watford did admirably. And, and I really do think they, they were the ones playing the football. Um, you know, on the commentary on, uh, on, on Hornet Hive, uh, Hive Live, they were saying how, you know, Sheffield Wednesday were hanging on and they were really, they looked like they were, uh, they were blowing, they were down on their sort of hands on their knees, sort of trying to, trying to get air into the lungs. And it, it, Watford really did sort of overrun them, I felt, to a degree. I think there's still it's still obviously a work in progress. Uh, keep out to make a couple of good saves, but didn't quite sort of um, forge the, the chances at the, the, enough to win it. Obviously, and it didn't quite forge the chances enough to, for us to come away feeling really hard done by. But I thought the way they grew into the game, the way they improved, and like you say, John, it did seem to, to coincide with with Perica coming on. I think there's plenty of cause for optimism because I think someone someone tweeted me after I can't remember who it was. So, so apologies, but and, and my cousin made the same point as well on a WhatsApp group. Hello, Rich, and thanks for listening. Um, Patience. I think we have to be patient. This is a team going through a lot, facing a different challenge on the pitch. We're facing different challenges off it. It's a very, very difficult league under under curious circumstances. Obviously, still with no with no fans there. So I think as supporters, we need to be patient, and I think we should focus on the positives. And for me, the way that Watford grew into that game, uh, I thought was was pretty pretty impressive. And I think we're showing signs of a sort of steely determination that you'd like to like to hope that that, that Vladimir, which is instilling in this side I think we, we're, we're showing signs of that um, and one another we're saying uh, Parizza made a, an impact when he came on in the second half I thought Nathaniel Chalabar played a lot lot better in the, the second half Adam you, you're at the game and you're seeing the, the atmosphere and the, 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 the body language of, of Ivic you know we're talking about being frustrated with 60 minutes and hopeful with the, the last half an hour did he seem that way? He, he's not someone to sort of um get too panicky which I quite like um he doesn't sort of I remember a few times and I know that the stakes were really really high under sort of Nigel Pearson towards the end of last season but I could sort of see him you know getting really agitated and turning away and growling and stuff and that might just be a different um sort of character to to Vladimir Ivic but um you know he 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 seems to just sort of keep a lid on his emotions and I think that that then does convey itself onto the pitch as well. If you see your manager getting all itchity and scratchity, you just think, oh, hang on a minute, I might be in trouble here, I might get hooked. But everyone sort of kept about their business. And obviously what he'd said at halftime kept them on point, reminded them about what they should have been doing. Um, and then the changes that he made, he made them, didn't he? He made them at the time that they needed to be done. And I think they made a difference. Parizza, as we touched upon, was far more cohesive up top, joined up the, the attacking play gave them an option to hold up the ball and then let others join in. So, you know, he did everything that he could. And I think you're absolutely right in terms of patience. That is what is needed. And gradually, hopefully, there'll be a drip, drip, drip of more cohesiveness, just in general terms. I know I use that word a lot. But just as the as the squad that are getting more players in seem to just sort of get more of an idea of exactly what is being demanded of them. And also, the, the hierarchy understand what Ivic exactly what he wants and you know the, the fact that he's brought in Garner and he's come in as a, as a creative force as a sort of a backup or maybe a starter in front of Domingos Kina um, I think that that's a, it's a good sign so I think yeah you're right Mike although it is weird saying it um, I, think, <laughs> I think your positivity is 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 absolutely spot on but I'm not quite sure whether and you can cut this out of the podcast whether you know we might be having glasses of wine but it sounds like you've been on the class A's mate <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we're keeping it in. Jason, you know, defensively, we talked about how, you know, we were very good defensively. We, we certainly weren't last year. Uh, is, is that down to Mr. Cabaselli? And, and in fact, really, we, we talk about all these players leaving and, and shining and, and, and maybe wanting to leave. But actually, he's, he's put in two performances this year where you think, well, maybe you're the one that they should be coming after. I don't think it's just down to one individual. I think it's the the defence as a unit and the team as a whole and, of course, what Ivic is, is telling them to do. But you're absolutely right to highlight Cabaselli again. Another good game from him today. I did get a little bit worried when um, Windass did him for pace. And I, it, maybe he was a, from a standing start, but he just seemed to get past him a little bit easily. But then it probably highlighted one of Cabaselli's strengths in that he didn't give up. He kept at it. He kept sort of got back up with him. Did enough to put him off. Windass was looking for the pen. Obviously, never, never a pen. And then I think there was a moment in the second half where we were pushing forward. Balls come over the top. He's one-on-one with the striker. And and we've seen him do this before, where he's managed to force the player wide. He hasn't dived in, stayed on his feet, made it made it difficult. The player, I think he had options in the uh, in the middle, could have had someone, could sit, could have set someone away through the middle. But Cabaselli didn't give him the room, didn't give him the space to be able to do that. Just a, a a very mature performance from him, and that's what you need from the from the player who's playing in the middle of that three. You need them; they almost sort of control the defence. You need them to be communicating well with the guys either side, and that will benefit Wilmot. Wilmot playing alongside him as a young lad, I think he'll be able to learn from Cabaselli if he keeps his place in the side. Um, so, yeah, good to see from Cabaselli. I, I did, I did think he struggled early but, on. I did think that he got undone by some pretty straightforward balls um, in in the first half, and I thought we looked, I mean, wobbly across the piece in the first half, as we said, and I think Cabaselli was a part of that. But I think perhaps, I think you're right. As the, as the game wore on, and we, it was important that we kept it tight at the back, despite them not really getting into it. He was, you know, pretty consummate, really, wasn't he? He was he was on top of it. But I, I do have concerns about that left side. I just we feel very lopsided at the moment. Um, I thought Ngakia was was good on the over on the on the right. I thought he was tenacious and aggressive and showed some good touches and he. Is one of the few that sort of seemed to have a bit of energy around him in the first first half. But it, it does strike me that, that the left hand side is is where we're lacking, and I don't know what the chaps think about that. Yeah, I I must admit, as much as uh, as as playing out from defence as, as being able to defend, I thought Sheffield Wednesday targeted targeted it this afternoon. Yeah. Um, I thought they used Harris a lot and used him quite well down that right hand side. And it was a difficult game for for Ken playing at left wing back. I don't think he was uncomfortable, but it was it was it was a tough a tough day because because uh, of how good Harris was for for Wednesday. We saw Wilmot against Middlesbrough tire a little bit, I think, towards the end, um, and and found himself in a few difficult positions. Uh, and again today, got caught out a couple of times. But I think moving forward as well, because Wilmot is right footed, sometimes him trying to play out of defence, he doesn't quite get the ball right and often plays straight to uh, an opposition player. And I think if you look at if we if if we want to progress in an attacking sense, we've seen that the two outside centre backs are encouraged to carry the ball forward. Do you think we need a specifically left footed player on that side? I don't think it's essential, but it does open up a lot more of the pitch if you do have, obviously, a left-footed um, centre-half. I mean, the arrival of Troost Ikong isn't going to solve that problem no. if he does come, because he's he's right-footed. Um, 
I don't think necessarily three at the back is going to be the long-term plan. Uh, you know, Vladimir Ivic hasn't always played three at the back, so it might be, you know, he's trying to set up a team that is more defensively minded now, and that might then develop into playing four at the back. And then you sort of, I mean, you, you would still rather have, you know, your left-sided centre-back being left-footed, but it's it's not so essential if you play four at the back. I'll tell you one thing which I, I don't want to see, and I saw far too much of today, and you think about last season, every time a Premier League side would, you know, split the centre-backs, get them, you know, six yards away from the goalkeeper, and then you had, you know, a defender standing centrally, we put upon those mm. sort of situations so uh, readily last season. I remember, you know, against Arsenal was one in particular where we just thought, why are you bothering doing this? Because it just makes you really, really, it makes you really susceptible to being pressed and being sort of hurried into a situation that is going to lead to, you know, them being um, attacked upon rather than creating an opportunity further up the pitch. Um, and yeah, I just think that I'd much rather see them not do that and, <laughs> you know, get the ball forward. I don't know, is that defeatist? It sort of reminds me of, you know, the situation that Brendan Rodgers had when he took over at the club. The fans were a little bit worried when the ball was being played out from the back. Um, but, you know, after a, a period of time, it became more natural. And maybe yeah. we're still in that sort of infancy yeah. period where, you know, it I might I think you're right out. to be con- concerned because we've, we've seen how how people can can counteract it quite quite successfully and I think that was part of a, a wider Watford approach wasn't it to press 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 and and try and win the ball further up the up the field and I think on the face of it it's like, like well, why don't you just lump it lump it forward but then obviously if it does go well then you've got a better chance of of maintaining possession and starting something and I think Ivic is pretty clear on that isn't he that he wants to build he wants to to as he said as we heard after the after the game's day he wants to move the ball quickly he wants to attack quickly and I think that's part of that isn't it building a um, building attack is easier with your with your foot on the ball in, in your own half than it is lumping it forward and hoping that you win the win the first and then second ball so as Watford supporters we're just not used to it because it's not a, a, not a style of football we've seen and as you rightly point out Adam we've seen we've seen when it when it goes wrong it can be pretty calamitous and you and you can look pretty silly but I think Watford have done it now for, for two games and haven't looked you know we're not going to face um, the quality that we we face in the in the in the in the Premier League are we in terms of opposition um, strikers closing things down whether opposition managers will be willing to um, push against up against it knowing that hopefully Watford will have decent decent players um, to to break with so I, you know, I think it's all part of you know we've said it before haven't we transitional it's that we're changing this Watford team is evolving in virtually every every sense and I think that's that's one of them and hopefully they, they stick with it because I think you can see the see the benefit of it it's part of Ivic's plan and if if we stick with it it'll mean he's he's um he's succeeding with that so it goes against every bone in my body um <laughs> whenever a Watford get player's forward, got it get, get it forward, forward <laughs> get it out kick it out go down hold your head whatever they can't score they can't score if we're on the floor or the ball's under someone's seat. So that's my usual instinct, and probably as the season wears on, that will uh, that will come to the fore a bit more. But I, you know, I think we do need to. He said defeatist. I know he didn't mean it like that, but I think we do need to be a bit more open and perhaps confident in the head coach, 
in, in what he's able to drill into these players because I think what I love about the, the constant theme so far is he's he said it a lot I want players who want to be here I want players who are prepared to work and that isn't just sweat and um, turning up to work on time with a smile on your face that's listening and being prepared to, to be coached and prepared to take up, up the positions yeah. and, step out of your comfort zone absolutely yeah. And, yeah. and I think if we're going to be successful this year you know we, we had a, a, a terrible time of it last year nothing worked um, defensively we were we were abject. The midfield never, never, never really clicked, and we didn't score any goals. So we're, we're starting again. We're rebuilding a team, and we're rebuilding a team underneath under a new head coach who has a specific uh, plan of action. And, and I'm, I'm all for it. I think there's there's plenty more positives out of what I've seen so far than than negatives. Um, and you know, I'm, if it could, it still could very much quick easily go one way or the other. It still could um, be, be, end up being a very, very difficult season. But if we get it right. If we get the right people through the door and with the, with the right temperament uh, and the right level of ability, it could still be a, a really fantastic and, and good fun season. I'm, on, I'm still at that stage where I'm excited to see how they, how they progress. Nikki? Yes? As my wife, do you think, do you think my hairline's okay? Um, yeah, I guess, for a man of your age. You sure? Yeah, it's fine, my love. Cool. Because this episode of From the Recurrent is sponsored by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically someone you can chat to about balding, which can be an awkward topic for some men because lots of us start to lose a hair before we hit 40. Apart from me, yeah? You're not lying, are you? No. Good. The best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some, which at least from the podcast... I do. Him was created to make it easy for men to seek care. They connect you to a real doctor online to discuss your problem personally. You are a bit grey. What? It's completely confidential and discreet, and you'll get a proper consultation with some sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier. To book your free consultation, just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. Where, where's it, Grey? There. <sighs> A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. The transfer window is slowly ticking down until it closes. But once it has done, what will Watford squad look like? We, we don't know and it's not quite finished yet. But Mike, Adam and I gathered before the game on Saturday as the players were warming up to see where we are at this moment. I'm at Hillsborough and it's a, it's a lovely day. It's beautiful. Good. I mean, this is this was one of the away, away games I really wanted to go to. It's a good mm. distance away. It's a classic football stadium. And it is annoying that we can't be there. But there are some players there. We've seen the team. We'll discuss it, what they do again later in the podcast. On that list, though, Adam, weren't any of these sort of players that we've will possibly leave uh, with the excitement that, hey, maybe they're going to stay. But let's, mm. let's have a chat about this transfer window. You're, you know, you're a Watford fan like, like the rest of us, but you're much more aware of what's going on in the wider world of uh, agents and signings, all the rest of it. So it's fantastic we can sort of get your views on this. Yeah, I want to start, actually, I'll start with Mike. Mike, the one player I want to mention is Purvis Estupinian. And I first want to say that because I think I said it right for the first time. <laughs> and also, it's annoying that I said it right for the first time, 
but it's the last time I'll say it on this podcast. He went to Villarreal <laughs> for 15 million. And I suppose the feeling I had when I saw he went was a little bit of deflation because he was this great player we were going to have in this squad this year. Mm. And, and that felt really exciting. But he's sort of gone. How did you feel about it? It wasn't a surprise. Well, there's sort of stages to relegation, isn't there? You think, oh, we, we might go back up because we, we've got all these great players. Um, and then you realise that actually we're in the championship and these great players probably aren't going to want to play in the championship. And then you realise that Watford actually, even if they did want to play in the championship, we've got to get we've got to get rid of them. And then there's the sort of feeling that you think, oh, if we had stayed up this season, the squad would have been absolutely incredible. So it's a multi-layered onion of horror, basically, getting uh, getting relegated. But I think slowly but surely we're, we're coming to terms with it. And I think with, 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 with Purvis Estupinian going, I think he probably was one of the, the players, although we didn't, we didn't see much of him, well, anything apart from the, the Tottenham game. The word on the street, the sort of accepted wisdom is that he is one of the best players or was one of the best players in the squad. So him going was no, no massive surprise. Disappointing, as you say, but not really a surprise. And the reality is that's 15 million quid that's come into, into the coffers. Add that to, to the 25 million that we got from Decore from Everton. And it kind of starts to, to make some sense. I think the fact that we didn't see him, a lot of people made that point on social media. You know, I'm not actually that, that bothered that he'd gone because we never see him. I've got no attachment to him. He obviously didn't want to play here and he, and he served a purpose in terms of bringing some money in. So different. And like you say, there is that initial deflating feeling where you, you know, the initial thought is, oh, we might have this amazing squad and bit by bit by bit, it sort of seems to, to drift away. But also it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The other part is, Adam, is it's part gents, of this. Gents, I'm hmm. sorry. I have to interrupt. We can carry on this conversation, but I've just seen Watford run onto the pitch right. at Hillsborough. They're wearing yellow shorts and yellow socks. Ooh, exclusive. I'm, I'm a bit confused. Does that mean that they're going to be wearing yellow, 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 or will they wear their? They're not going to be wearing their white shirts because that would clash with Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, this will all become redundant after we've actually seen the game, so it's, <laughs> it's irrelevant. But I was just set aback a little bit by. Um, the fact no. that they're wearing yellow shorts and yellow socks. So we can carry on with the conversation now. But I just wanted to share my feelings. You've just captured a moment that I, I always like when it comes to being at game. Oh, oh, look at the colour socks they're wearing. Look at yeah. the shorts. I'm not, we're not there. We can't see these things. Um, I remember yeah. the game at home against Preston, right? In the I think it must have been under Ray Lewington. And it was the black kit. Do you remember that? The black Toshiba kit made yeah. by, I think it was Kitat. And I think it was a Sunday afternoon. Anyway, they wore that black kit at home for some reason. And they'd been out on the pitch for about 10 minutes before I realised they were out on the pitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen Watford at home in black before. I was like, when are Watford coming out? I was like, oh, yeah. God, that's literally, for about, they were about to kick off. And I was like, well, where are Watford? That's <laughs> uh, probably the most uh, foolish I've ever felt uh, at a match, which is going so. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with the whole of the audience. No, no um, but Adam, you know, this, 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 this sorts of transfers, you know, he, he was a Watford player for four years. He never played for Watford. Yeah. He has made his money. You know, you wrote about the, the Potso network on the Athletic back in early summer. You know, I, it feels just a bit too businessy for me as a Watford fan, but it is sort of reality, isn't it, in this, with, with us and our owners and, and the modern world of football? It is part of the model, and I think it's just still a bit different to other smaller clubs. The fact that we have this pool of players that are sort of cast all around um, Europe and sometimes the rest of the world as well. So it's sort of still a bit unexpected that we do these sort of things. But if you look at, you know, bigger clubs, they will do that sort of thing. So it's not that uncommon. But then I think, you know, what Mike said there, it grates 
when you know that the the network that has been talked about and publicised and sort of trumpeted for such a long time seemed as if it was going to really bear fruit this summer if the season had been far better last season. You know, the likes of Suarez, who we don't know whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. Estupinian would have probably stayed. But I remember speaking to someone who was close to, to Estupinian right at the beginning of all of this. And, I mean, it was after Watford had been confirmed as... Uh, going down but he was adamant it's like no he's not going to be staying no way and that was even though you know the club would have been saying well you know we could, we're going to still fight to keep him I think it was very very clear from the outset due to his performances in La Liga last season that he was going to be um, wanted by bigger clubs and he was expecting to go there are a lot of players usually that are out on loan that might not have um you know, achieve the success that he had. But it's just such a shame that he did and we weren't able to, to keep hold of him. But then, you know, there are a lot of other players that are out on loan at the moment. Not as big a pool because some of them have been let go and some of them have signed permanent deals, um, you know, elsewhere quite early on in the transfer window. And they will remain. And hopefully Watford can get up this season, potentially. And there might be some fruit that they can pick from that pool uh, going into next season. But... It almost feels like now, yes, we've, we've had a window into these players, but also at the same time, we're sort of changing our, our recruitment policy a little bit just to suit the championship. So it, but it does it's, show it's it works out, doesn't it? it? Yeah. It does show it works because although it's frustrating from us as, as supporters, and as, as you say, John, sort of it feels like a, you know, we're really seeing the business side of it here. It's sort of more to balance the books and more because yeah, of players wanting to leave. It's the bottom leave. line, isn't it? That's all but, it has but to it be, works, doesn't line. it? Because yeah. Stupinian has gone and yeah. has realised um, a, a decent a decent fee. You know, perhaps we could have got more if we'd have stayed up. So regardless of of it being frustrating for us as supporters, which it obviously is, we'd much rather be in the Premier League or much rather be keeping the best players. But actually, what we what we do want to be this year is is um, competitive. And that means we've got to rebuild the squad. And a huge part of that is is generating cash. You know, there's a whole heap of issues surrounding the game in general at the moment, isn't it? This is a week that we've seen Macclesfield go to the wall, Southend almost go to the wall, clubs are losing money hand over fist. We're now in the championship where the money is different. So we have to have a robust model in place that does generate cash if we need it for whatever reason. And I think the fact that He's gone and has generated that money, and and Decoure as well. You know, brought in for a mu- lot a lot less than we than we signed him for, plus getting the four years of, of decent service out of him uh, eventually after almost uh, letting him slip through our fingers. But so I think it is diff- important for us to balance it and remember that the the, the model, whilst it can feel a bit um, like to use John's phrase that business like, that's actually a hundred percent what we need, especially in a, mm. in, a, in a volatile industry like this at a volatile time like this in a difficult sort of situation like in between betwixt and between the Premier League and the and the Championship. Yeah. Adam, you know, we've, we you had a piece that came out Thursday Friday on the Athletic about some senior players leaving. Uh where are we with these these players that were stars for Watford but seem to be a little bit too expensive for us now. Yeah, I think that's the situation. That's the reality of getting relegated um when you've got players that haven't got relegation clauses. The likes of Troy Deeney who's on over 100 grand a week. Um, I think, you know, the, the sensible situation will be, yes, if they can find um, someone who will take him on and pay those wages and he is happy and he's content and it all seems to work out, then I'm sure that that will, that will probably happen. He's obviously said he feels that he can still do a job for a Premier League team. But at the same time, I think if, if it didn't happen, then I think he might, you know, deep down relish having an opportunity to, you know, 
score some goals in in the championship and and if it all fits together then maybe that might still happen we'll have to we'll have to watch that one closely and it basically comes down to whether someone stumps up the cash and and wants to bring him in in terms of Gerard Delafeu who's currently out in um, Andorra doing his rehab um his representatives are trying to find him a move, but you've got that complication of him recovering from an injury. Not to say that people are going, well, I'm not 100% sure how he's going to bear up and whether he'll be able to play football again. I think, you know, he's still relatively young, he's fit, and this has been his only injury so far, really, in terms of significance. So they will be confident of getting a move for him. But there is a sort of a little bit of a complication in terms of, well, does he just carry on in Andorra doing his recovery or does he come back to the UK and continue with it here if he's going to have to spend two weeks in um, in isolation, in quarantine? So there's that factor to think about. So that one's sort of pending. Deeney is pending as well. And then, you know, there are a few others that are also on the um, the potential departure lounge list. The player who we've brought in this week, uh, as mentioned earlier, James Garner um, mm. from Manchester United, on loan. We haven't had one of those for a while. Last one in my memory would be Tom Cleverley and Craig Cathcart over 10 years ago now, maybe 10 years ago. Um, we got in touch with Laurie Whitwell, one of, one of the Athletics Manchester United reporters, uh, to try and get the lowdown on James and what he might offer Watford. Hi guys, so James Garner is a 19-year-old midfielder who has been at Manchester United Academy since 2009. He's always been uh, well-regarded uh, in the academy as someone that's been spoken about as a potential first-teamer. Um, he had his first start for the club away to Partizan Belgrade in October and then came on against Norwich in the Premier League three days later. Uh, and he's made four more appearances, um, starting twice um, last season. Um, some observations were that he perhaps played a little bit of the handbrake on in, in those first team games, but I think he just wanted to do the basics right, because in under-23s, he's really added attacking potency to his game. Um, he's ostensibly been a sort of number six kind of holding midfielder player, but he's, he's added those attacking bursts. He's got a good engine. He can shoot off left or right, and he scored some really spectacular goals for the under-23s last season. Um, I spoke to Neil Wood uh, in July about um, James Garner a few other young players but Garner was one that he was adamant should really go out on loan get experience playing competitive football against men and he thinks it'll really benefit him and we'll see you know what he really is capable of um, he played against Salford City um, in the EFL Trophy uh, last week and, and did really well against their senior side in a, in a 6-0 win so he has been close to a loan move in January um, Blackpool was one of the clubs um, mooted and, and that didn't happen in the end um, but I think Watford have got a really interesting player a good young player with a lot of hunger and desire and a lot of quality now Adam the, the trick now is with that midfield and we talked about the other day how it you know two of those players Queener and Chalabar didn't really shine in a game against lower division Oxford United where where are we seeing either James fitting in and actually will there be you know ramifications in terms of other players now being able to leave my next piece on the athletics sort of deals with with this issue specifically in terms of the, the midfield because um, you know, Ghana has been brought in and the intention will be for him to, to play games. And, you know, as you've heard from, from Laurie there, you know, he's very highly thought of at Manchester United. There have been a lot of clubs after him. I go through a whole host of clubs that have actually, um, you know, made approaches for him over the last, what, nine months. Um, and Watford have done well to, to nail him down. Um, and you then think, right, well, if he's coming in, they can't keep everyone. And you start to think, well, does that definitely mean that either one or both of, of Etienne Capoue and Will Hughes are going to leave? Um, Etienne Capoue, who was in that article 
um, last week is sort of considering his options at the moment, but I think he's relatively relaxed about whether he stays or whether he goes. Um, he's obviously a high earner, so they would have to consider, you know, a, a decent offer. But one of those clubs, Valencia, don't seem to have um, the right amount of money at the moment to take him away. So nothing seems to be happening on that front currently. In terms of Will Hughes, he's in a different situation. He's obviously due to be coming back to training after having um, an operation in the summer, which he delayed, to be fair to him, to try and stay in the fight against relegation, um, to sort of put everything in for the team. So that sort of shows and speaks of his commitment to the club. He should be back in the next couple of weeks and sort of available potentially by the middle of October. But there are going to be Premier League teams very interested in him. The club, I would have thought in an ideal circumstance, would want to extend his contract, which has two years to go on it. So that may well happen if they don't get an offer which they think, right, well, we've got a really good offer for Will Hughes. We don't seem to be getting one for Otien Kapu. Do we cash in on one or other of them? It's such a difficult scenario. You've got then Nathaniel Shalabar as well. Um, he will probably think, can I can I get a move elsewhere? Have I proven that I've done that? We no, you haven't, was... Shalabar. You have not. <laughs> well, no. I yeah, I know. But I, not yet. I, he, he hasn't proven it, but you know, he will believe that he can. So I think we have to sort of still stick by him and, and say, well, yeah, maybe he might do a job. But you know, he's now got someone in this current group without the likes of Hughes and Capu breathing down his neck who has been playing, you know, at a high level, was playing in the Europa League last season and, and doing well and was named the reserve player of the year for the under-23 player of the year for, for Manchester United in Ghana. So, you know, there is there is competition. But yeah, and you've then got Tom Deli Bashiru, who's who's coming back from an injury as well. You've got uh, Daniel Phillips, who's, you know, another potential player as well. He'll probably go out on loan if he doesn't get more time or if Watford don't stay in the Cups and things like that. But you know, there, there is a lot of bodies in there, so they will have to streamline it in some form. So it's another one that we have to just wait and see. And it's another thing that, you know, it's not like, oh, well, what's going on? What's happening? Why hasn't Kapoor gone? Where's he going? What's this happening? I have seen your Twitter feed, Adam. I yeah, see how people no, demand I the answers. I, yeah, I understand the frustration, but it's not, it's not clear. Because, you know, you have to have a buyer. You also have to have a happy player, either that wants to stay or is happy to go. They have contracts. It's, it's, it's so difficult. And they're, you know, it's a ticking, ticking clock at the moment. What, less than four weeks to go or two weeks until the international one, four weeks until the, the domestic one. You know, we saw, it's a good example this of how much time it does take to do a deal. Obviously these would have been done, you know, months in advance. Um, and the preparation work would have been done. But if you look at when Everton signed Hammers, Allen and Decore, over the course of sort of a weekend, it creates a sort of a bottleneck of, of admin that needs to be done. They don't have three teams of lawyers at football clubs. You know, they only have one. And things take time. You know, even if even if players are sort of in the building and they were all sort of housed in this in this hotel waiting to officially sign. It gives you, a, a, you know, an example of these things take time. And, it, you know, yes, you can rush things. You can try and rush things. But sometimes you might end up with players at the football club that want to go, that you haven't been able to shift. And that's where the challenge will then come in October, if players remain that haven't been part of the group, that might be frustrated, and it's trying to keep those ones happy. The ideal scenario is everyone goes that wants to go, and then Ivic is left with players that he's happy with. 
But, you know, it may well be that there are a few issues down the line as well. But that's just the nature of the beast when you have a massive squad. Mike, though, um, I don't know how much, how much attention do you normally pay to Liverpool's uh, incoming transfer spendings? Is it much at all? <laughs> because no. No. Yeah. Are you at the moment, though? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, every every sort of rumoured deal, every every pound they spend is uh, hopefully another pound that they can't uh, spend on uh, uh, Ishmael Assar, isn't it? So yeah, Watford fans keenly monitoring the transfer business of, uh, of Liverpool. Obviously, they've signed uh, Diego Jota over the, over the last couple of days and, and spent money elsewhere. And there's a lot of Watford fans crossing their fingers. That uh, this is, of course, after Liverpool pled p- poverty, which which did sound a little bit ridiculous. Um, bearing in mind they're they're standing in the in the European and World game at the moment. The, the fact that they haven't got much cash doesn't quite ring true. So um, I, I'm sort of wrapping myself on the knuckles a little bit for falling into the trap of getting too uh, uh, paying too much attention. Yeah, but but yeah, the more they spend on someone that isn't Ishmael Assar, the happier I sort of seem to be getting. But Adam, you know, you talk about how long it takes for these transfers to be done. Time is ticking on, and you don't do big, big deals, which is currently what Gino wants for Ishmael, which is absolutely right. Yeah. Are the chances of him leaving diminishing by the day? Well, it, it appears that two of the sort of the big hitters that were being lined up for potential moves, obviously Liverpool, that one seems, according to um, James Pierce, my learned colleague from from uh, Liverpool, um, is that that one's dead. You know, they they asked the question. The um, amount that was being asked by Watford, you know, in between 40 and 50 million pounds, you know, inclusive of add-ons and things like that, a starting point of 40, maybe going up to 50, um, was too prohibitive for for Liverpool. So that one seems like it's gone away for now. Um, but there are obviously still links. And, you know, if, if a club likes a player, it doesn't automatically just go, well, that one's dead in the water. We're never going to revisit it. So that has to be sort of open to a possibility, maybe not this window, but say in January or or maybe next summer if he doesn't leave elsewhere. Manchester United, who I understood were actually making, um, you know, tentative inquiries um, back in January, according to sources say that they're not interested at the moment. Obviously, they've got that massive Jaden Sancho iron in the fire as well. That's their that's their priority. They're still hopeful potentially of, of doing that deal. And that's a massive one. But there are obviously going to be other clubs that are interested they will have been watching and thinking well Liverpool are nailed on to get him and now they're not so I I wouldn't rule out other clubs you know maybe eyeing up a loan um, or a permanent deal if they can stump up that amount of money thinking about it but all in all if you think about it if everyone was thinking oh well look yeah he's definitely going to go to Liverpool and they pulled out then it has to be seen as a positive and I don't think he's one to agitate for a move I think he will sort of get on with things, whatever happens. Um, he's not on massive, massive money um, in comparison to some of the other players like Dini or, or Delefeu. Um, so, you know, there's, there's every chance that he could stay. But then, as we were saying when I was sat outside at Oxford, um, the longer it goes on, for example, you know, he's been training all week, but he's not considered for this game at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, you know, if that then goes on to maybe not Newport, but let's say against Luton, would they want to put him in there if that's going to be a sort of a, a high tempo, kick you up in the air sort of game if he's potentially also going to leave? So, you know, but the longer it goes on, you, you think more and more, well, they're definitely lining him up to, to leave and we don't want him to get injured. So that's another check and watch situation, I think, on Ishmael Assar. 
This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the experts in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and Manscaped have just launched in the UK. We've been going for years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped life-changing products. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents and the water resistant technology allows you to groom whilst in the shower. How helpful. And we've got a special offer for you right now for listening to From the Rookery End. You can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. That's 20% free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. There is another game to go this week, a midweek game away at Newport, the first trip to South Wales. But I suppose the game that's on the horizon is Watford at home to Luton Town. Mike's surname is Parkin, he has a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. You're good. Got a game on Tuesday against Newport County in the Carabao Cup, but then... On Saturday, I can tell already, your eyes have gone wide, you've got a big grin on your face, you started jiggling around, a bit of nervous anticipation. Why is that? Because we're playing Luton. We're playing Luton Town on Saturday, the first time in your lifetime that our beloved Watford are taking on our dreaded rivals, Luton. How are you feeling about it? Excited. Ready to thrash them. Ready to thrash them, yes, all over that. And what will you do if we if we win, if we can get that win? Take my top off and have a party. And of course, a few of your colleagues at your team who are Luton supporters, anything you'd have to say to them? Because you train on a Friday, then you'll have a game on a Sunday. So how will you be playing it with them? Will you be cautious on Friday or will you be giving it big uh, big licks before uh, before the game? Big licks. Good man. You've got to be confident, haven't you? Come on, you Hornets. Thank you, Arlo. Come on, you Hornets. So Arlo's excited. Uh, Adam... Should we be excited with everything we've talked about, about where Watford are in this situation, with where we think, you know, Ivic is in his development of this squad? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's going to be nil four. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm already sort of sick and nervous thinking about it, to be honest, because, you know, we haven't been in this situation for, what? 14, 14 years. years? Yeah. yeah, 14 years. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit frightened. My my little child inside is a little bit frightened <laughs> about what's gonna, what's going to happen, but you know it'll be interesting to see um, what happens in the first half because you know they've got this first half to look at against Sheffield Wednesday now, and they weren't they weren't at it, they weren't quick into the challenge, and it's certainly going to be blood and thunder. I don't care, you know, even with the the fans not there, the intensity will be built up. They will know that it's a local derby, um, and you know they will know that this. There's a lot riding on this game. Luton have started the season well. Top um, of the league. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're the underdogs coming into this, aren't we, a little bit. So oh I think, you know, who knows? It's going to be blood and thunder. But then by then, you know, we might have a, a few more um, stellar personnel back. And there is also, you know, another element, which I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But, you know, my understanding is that, that Troy Deeney is going to be back and training this week, 
it may well be that he adds an extra sort of frisson of excitement as we go into a, a derby day. Look, it might be that he's gone by by next Saturday. Who knows? Um, it might be that Ishmael Assar's gone by next Saturday. Who knows? If some of the, the big guns start to come back, then that might add a, a little extra level of solidity to that side. And it would be a good game to, to have some of the big guns back for. But we'll just have to sort of check in every day and see what happens over the next few days because there's so much still still to still to change, isn't there? This I mean, is, it, this, this is got... great, this. And I've just seen on the Watford Twitter feed, they've just uh, um, posted a picture with with a caption from Vladimir Ivic's uh, post-match words. And it said, uh, the first half was a waste of time for us. But the second half was much better. I love that straight talking. And I think that, that sort of tells me all you need to know about him. He's going to be honest in his appraisal. And he'll be honest, I think, with his players about what, what Saturday means to, to, the, to the town and the, to the club and, and all of us. So I think Adam's absolutely right. It will be blood and thunder. I think we've seen enough in the Watford ranks that there are enough players that have played so far that are willing to, to roll their sleeves up and, and get stuck in. Um, so I think we'll be, be absolutely ready for it. And, you know, it is difficult watching I have to say the Hornet Hive offering I think is is great having that dedicated build up before the game that club specific footage and stuff is is really really great so hats off to Watford for the for the way they've um sort of bought into this and the way they've delivered the this sort of strange viewing experience it's made it a, a really interesting and worthwhile event I, I think but it is hard watching the game without any 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 supporters there it is hard knowing that we can't go it is hard knowing that we can't plan the away trips but I think this is the first time that everyone will be united in you know everyone will be up early still thinking about it and all, all those things will still still be there but the you know social media will be absolutely a lie I'm sure people will go into town to Watford uh, into into Watford to watch it that probably includes some of our friends from up the road I'm sure that uh, there may, may well be a, uh, a few white shirted um, characters knocking around whether they'll wear white shirt I, I'm not going to go into that but you know what I mean we're going to see I reckon we'll see some Luton fans in town so I think the whole thing is building and building and building it was the, what, the first fixture that everyone looked for at the, at the start of the season both teams have had a reasonable start you know Luton are settled they're, they're doing well they've, they're coming off the back of, uh, of a you know let's face it a great run of form to stay in the division last last year that's the first and last time I will publicly say anything positive about um, about them but there you go massive game I reckon our lot will be up for it Vlad will will be up for it as well if we have a couple of big name players back then then fine but I think this this little this little group um, have shown themselves already to to be pretty steely, pretty determined. I think, uh, and let's you know, let's not overestimate Luton. They're not an amazing footballing side. They're not a great a great side. So there's nothing to fear from a footballing point of view. But there is obviously everything goes out the window, doesn't it, on a derby day? And it's and it's something we haven't experienced for like you say for for well over a decade. So uh, nice to have Tuesday to look forward to first to sort of uh, to run through it. Perhaps I don't know, call it a bit a bit harsh on the cup and and Newport to call it a dress rehearsal, especially as it. it it will almost certainly be a changed side but nice to have that little buffer in between that and now because like Adam says if you think about it too much you start getting uh, start getting pretty nervous but more excited I'm going to be honest with you though I'm going to be honest this this doesn't feel as you know I'm not as not excited not as nervous for this game as I was for games we played recently against Crystal Palace or against Bournemouth. Yeah, they're different. This is an old, yeah, but this is an old thing. This hasn't, in many ways, a dead rivalry. It hasn't been living yet. I know it could be something. I feel that lots of Watford fans and Luton fans are going, this is it, it's back. But it, it won't be back unless this is a real battle. I'm, I, I know, you know, I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be 
extreme on this, but it, we haven't had this as a rivalry for, for a long time. We haven't. I think it's been something like 14 years, hasn't it? And I wonder if the, the edge is taken off slightly, John, because we're not going to be there. I'm sure we'd be feeling it a lot more if we were able to, to be at the game. Um, we probably remember that League Cup tie when Matt Spring scored that amazing goal from uh, about 70 yards. Um, that night felt felt like something walking up to the ground. And because you haven't got that that kind of build up, I think that perhaps that takes it away a bit. But I'm I am feeling it. I'm I'm ready for it. I, I I've certainly um, instilled in uh, my six year old that every time <laughs> Luton Town get mentioned to start booing, and he does, he's got that. So oh. uh, good on him. Um, I had a, 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 an ex colleague of mine someone I used to work with left about a year ago Luton fan emailed me out of the blue he's clearly up for it he's Ooh. very excited not not just us but they've got Man United in the week in the cup as well so he's um, he's sort of exclaiming that uh, it's, a, it's a big week for them and, and that rivalry is still there I think come three o'clock on Saturday I, I think we will be feeling it I, I think I will be nervous for it and absolutely want to beat them let's uh they're on a bit of a, a perch at the moment they'll see us as being on a pedestal having just come down from the premier league they'll want to teach us a lesson i yeah i'm i'm up for it and like mike says i'm sure uh all parties will be as well one of arlo's football coaches is a he's a decent chap but he is a luton fan and we uh you know we we tolerate each other um but usually i'm very polite very considered very calm and then, uh, but on Friday night, he sort of made a sort of passing comment about uh, about Watford and Luton, and I snapped back straight away. Cool. Oh, it's all snarled at him, sort of. Yeah, well, it's on the pitch that counts next week, isn't it? We'll see. <laughs> and sort of stormed off, and I was like, Michael, where did that come from? <laughs> I never liked that at all. But it's obviously, yeah. So, like Jason said, I think it is, and it is. It's that. It's it's that rivalry. It's a bra- ultimately at the end of the day, all it is is bragging rights. But for for football supporters, that it really is is all that it, it that's all it is about, isn't it? It's about being able to have the the upper hand on your on your closest rivals and dress it up how you want. They hate us. We hate them. We haven't played them for ages. It's a, it's a massive, massive game. It's a terrible shame that the supporters won't be there. You can imagine what the vicar would have been like with 20,000 supporters in there. It'd been noisy. It'd been raucous. They would have managed it. You'd imagine a lot better than they did that hateful night that, that Jason alluded to, because I remember that as well. And I think everyone says the same thing. Walking up to the ground that night from miles out, you could tell that something was, was afoot and was off and it was, it was a mess and it was, um, it was not a pleasant experience, uh, at all. Um, so I think they'd have, they'd have learned from that. But yeah, it's just a massive game. It's just absolutely huge. And it's one of the, one of the few games that will get the, get really get the blood pumping at this stage of the season because of, because of what it means. So absolutely fascinating to see how, how Watford react. And, uh, yeah, I'll be there for working and, um, feel lucky to, to be there. And it'd be, uh, it'd be interesting to hear what sort of, if there's any sort of uh, to and fro from the, uh, from the players. I'm sure there, I'm sure there will be, but, uh, yeah, I can't wait, but glad we've got Newport first. Cause it's sort of, yeah, like I say, that little buffer. We'll see what happens on Tuesday night. We'll have a quick podcast after that one to see how Watford got on against Newport. 
County. And then, of course, it's the one, the only, Luton Town on Saturday. And we'll be chatting about that. Mike will be at the game. And we'll have a discussion about what goes down between the Hatters and the Hornets next week on From the Rooker End. Thank you much for following. Make sure you just subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month uh, at theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, give it a try. It's incredibly cheap at that rate. Uh, and also follow us on at Watford Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. It was a nil-nil draw away at Sheffield Wednesday. But as Jason, as you've said over many years, if you win your home games and you draw your away games, you're going to get promoted. You still saying that? I am. I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I was ready and waiting with it. I was going to put it to you. I was going to say, what is it I always say to you? And I'm glad you remembered. Well done. <laughs> Ten points for me. And we'll be back for another Fondue Grand very, very soon. Thank you very much, Mike. No problem. Stay positive. Stay patient. This could be fun. Thank you, Adam. Absolute pleasure, gents. Take care. And thank you, Jason. Thank you. And come on, you boys!